Commissioner Steve Arcelona. Commissioner Martha Knudsen. Here. Commissioner Michael Pappas. Here. Commissioner Janet Spears. Here. Commissioner Teddy Vrijas. Here. At this time, we ask that you silence all cell phones and sound producing devices. Thank you. May I have a motion to approve the agenda? So moved. Do I have a second? Second. Any discussion? All in favor? Aye. 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 The motion carries. Thank you. May I have a motion to approve the August 7th, 2019 meeting minutes? So moved. Any, do I have a second? Second. Any comments or changes? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you, the motion carries. <clears throat> Item four, the director's report. Thank you, Shireen. Good morning, commissioners. So um, I just wanted to start with the Older Americans Act, um, usually start with the federal level, and I just wanted to give you a report that the Older Americans Act, uh, uh, sorry, Congress passed a short-term continuation of the Older Americans Act. As I mentioned before, it would have sunsetted on September 30th, and so they passed a short-term um, continuing resolution to keep it going until November 21st. And um, in the meantime, we're hoping to work out the basically the appropriations differences that they have. So we had really good news on the House side that um, they were actually proposing funding increases for the Older Americans Act, and then on the Senate side, it was much less impressive. And so there's still a lot of advocacy to be done, and hopefully our advocates from San Francisco will be thinking about how we can uh, reach out and make sure that the Older Americans Act gets funded at hopefully better levels than what it currently looks like on the Senate side. So we'll keep you um, abreast of that situation, but um, might be that the department can send something on behalf of us or that somebody can send something on behalf of the commission. It would be helpful. I think the other thing that really makes a difference is just to call our leaders in Congress and push for their advocacy, you know, as you know that we have, we're lucky and we have people who really care about these issues, but it's always nice to remind them that we need their support and advocacy. So if anybody gets a chance to do that, that would be great. Um, to move on to the state level, the state has really kind of gone full force in thinking about the master plan on aging. I mentioned last month that the, um, the oversight body for the, the, or the, the task force, sorry, for the um, Master Plan on Aging has been put into effect and they had their first meeting in September, on September 17th. But there are also a lot of other opportunities to be involved. There are a number of subgroups, subcommittees that are gonna be meeting to, to cover different areas of the Master Plan on Aging and um, there's also, I've been assured by the state that they will be reaching out to counties like ours to find out what we think about the Master Plan on Aging. Um, that leads me to the event that we had on September 20th, 18th, 20th, 19th, 20th, <laughs> 20th. Um, at the Hyatt Regency, um, many of you got to be there, so that's really great. We had a there was a fantastic turnout. This was an, a, an event put on by the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council in conjunction with the Dignity Fund Coalition and Homebridge. Um, Mark Burns and his staff really, really did a great job of pulling everything together. Janet um, 
got to give opening remarks. Um, Commissioner Spears got to give opening remarks, so that was really great. And then um, Bruce Chernoff from SCAN moderated, and Assemblymember Chu, Senator Weiner, President Yee, Supervisor Fewer, Jeannie Parker Martin from Leading Age, and myself were on the panel. And it seemed like we had a very good, um, we had a really interesting audience and in that it wasn't just people in this room, people who are really always advocates for older people and people with disabilities, but there were people from the health department there, there were people from um, foundations, there were people from UCSF, et cetera. I've been hearing from a lot of different um, sectors and that's really great. And part of the whole point of this is really to get awareness to San Franciscans, build awareness about the coming plan and the opportunities to have input. So, um, and then following that, Marie Jobling from the Community Living Campaign and I co-authored an op-ed that was in the Examiner over the weekend. And if you haven't seen that, I can have Bridget send it out to the commission. But um, just really we're trying to find opportunities to get the word out and really talk about the great work that San Francisco does and how we can be a model for some of the elements of the plan at the state level. <clears throat> And then I just wanted to, um, I feel like we met very recently, maybe we did, but it feels like we were just here. Um, so I, I also just wanted to take the opportunity to introduce um, Kate Shadowin. I mentioned Kate, Kate if you could stand. <laughs> um, welcome. Kate is the newest member of our uh, leadership team. I, I did introduce her last month, but didn't realize she wasn't in the room, and so I just wanted to put a name with a face. Kate is our new director of the DOS Benefits and Resource Hub, and um, we're really happy to have her. It's given us the chance to put together um, our eligibility side with our intake information referral side and, count and community, um, sorry, County Veterans Service Office. Also, we were able to move our um, ind independent provider assistance center from the back, from a from one building into this building so that all of the services are centered in that building. So it's really, it is really becoming more and more of a one-stop, which is great. So we're looking forward to working with Kate. She has a great background and um, came from some of our partner agencies, Felton and Homebridge, um, and has worked a number of other places as well. So, and then I wanna end on um, something that's very exciting that I've been talking ab we, about for a year now with you, and that's that we are about to launch Reframing Aging San Francisco. And the launch date is October 14th. We have a number of things happening on that launch date. And I wanna thank um, Marie Joblin, Kate Kukro, at um, Community Living Campaign for being such great partners and, f and the Meta Fund for being a great partner as well. This has been a lot of work, even though we have consultants working with us and we have really creative people working with us who are giving us great advice. There's nothing like having people um, internally and then our partners who really know our work to make the message correct. And so, and I also wanna thank Rose Johns and, and Joe Malika and Chandra because it's just been a huge amount of, of effort on everyone's part to pull this off. Um, so you should hopefully on October 14th, especially for you, uh, uh, commissioners who many of you like to walk around the city a lot and take take stock of things. Um, we, we're going to have uh, wallscapes. There'll be a, we have a couple wallscape areas purchased. Um, one right near the Meta Fund, I think it is, Washington and Battery 
Washington Battery. Um, yeah, and then we'll have light poles, we have bus tails, we have a Caltrans sign bridge. Um, so those are some of the kind of outward facing physical things that you might see out in the community. But in addition to that, we'll have a pretty robust social media campaign going along with this. We have five people from the older adult communities in San Francisco who are represented as models in this. And so you'll get to see people maybe some of you will know. And that's really exciting. Um, and so, and also we're going to have posters and buttons and postcards that we are going to, to be distributing to anyone who wants to be part of this campaign. So we're very excited. Um, this is the first phase. The second phase really is to make people aware of our services. So it's really about building awareness of, of the aging population in San Francisco and thinking about ageism and combating ageism and then moving on to, hey, and we have services for people that, that, that you should use. Um, and I think the other thing is that on all of the materials, there will be a URL that will lead right to a landing page where people can learn about ageism, they can learn about the, the models, as I said, um, and their stories, they can learn about, they can read some articles on ageism and the intersection of aging and ableism and some other things about what San Francisco's doing that's innovative, and they can take a pledge to end, help end ageism. So um, I'm very excited about that. Again, it's October 14th, and we will do our best to communicate as well as we can with everyone who wants to be part of the campaign. And I, that concludes my report. I'll take any questions. Thank you very much, Shereen. Any comments or questions? Martha? When, just going back to um, our support for the Older Americans Act, I'm still sort of a newbie on this commission, so if when we go about writing a letter, is that something that you, a staff person could help us by drafting? And what I would, what I as a commission would be looking for is something very specific around what are we trying to get the Senate to Right. Vote for that we probably liked in the House. So it was a very, very specific kind of advocacy piece. And is that something that, that gets drafted by the staff and we could approve? <laughs> yeah. So, um, due consideration, we would approve. Cindy and I will talk about that and we will come back to you. Okay. But I with would, the right way to go about it. Yeah. And that would be okay. my, in my mind, the kind of letter that I think would be very helpful. So right. I'd like to support that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Liu? Shireen, I have a question for the uh, September 20th meeting. Was it televised, the high regency meeting? Because it, I couldn't go. I have a fundraiser. It was, and I believe that the, um, it's on YouTube, and I think you can access it through the Dignity Fund Coalition's website and probably Community Living Campaign's website as well. Dignity Fund Coalition's website. <laughs> I actually looked it up last night, and I saw it on there. Okay. If, and um, if you need the information, Bridget can show you the website. Okay. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Thank you very much, Shireen. The next item on the agenda is employee recognition. The DAS Commission and Executive Director Shireen McSpadden-Milano-Ashley Rise from DAS In-Home Supportive Services Office.
All right, everyone. Um, this is a really exciting day. We get to um, honor Ashley Reese as the employee of the month for October, October 2019, which is fantastic. So Ashley, I have not really had a chance to work with you as much as I have with some people. So what I'm going to do is read what people wrote about you, because it sounds, it's really impressive. <laughs> and um, so, and you've only been with us since 2017. And so you've really managed to distinguish yourself amongst your staff and your peers, and that's fantastic. So Ashley Reese joined in in-home supportive services in 2017. She always cares greatly for IHSS clients. She constantly looks for opportunities to expand her knowledge regarding resources available to clients and, her, and herself as a professional. Oftentimes, she makes sure she's connected with agencies in the Bay Area and is always on the lookout for trainings and workshops that will help her serve clients better. And she shares this knowledge with the rest of the program. For many years, In-Home Supportive Services has been collaborating with Laguna Honda Hospital to provide services to some of our most vulnerable clients in the city and helping to have them come out of Laguna Honda and get ready to, to return home, right? So recently, we saw the need to strengthen that collaboration by streamlining processes and improving communication between the two agencies. Therefore, IHSS decided to dedicate one social worker who will, who will specialize in the needs of Laguna Honda hospital clients and provide more focused resources. We needed someone who has great communication skills, knows how to interact with clients who are facing many challenges, and is able to follow through with service delivery. Ashley was the perfect social worker for this job, and she took on this unique opportunity without any hesitation. Ashley was able to coordinate services delivery to ensure that the clients will have a safe discharge home. Ever since, we have seen an improvement in services and positive feedback about the dedicated care we provide to our clients who are coming out of Laguna Honda. So thank you, Ashley, for all your wonderful work and your dedication. And thanks so much for being part of our IHSS team and part of DOS. Congratulations. I'm just looking forward to a long career here and um, continuing to help serve the clients and that we serve in San Francisco. Great, thank you and congratulations. The next item on the agenda is the Advisory Council Report, Diane Lawrence. Good morning, Commissioners, Director McSpadden. Um, the Advisory Council met on Wednesday, September 19th, and all of our members were present. Um, so that's a big accomplishment, yeah. And including um, Josh, um, who is up for a confirmation this morning. We still have some vacancies, but um, it does mean that our meetings tend to go a little bit longer. Um, we had a report by Rose Johns on the department's 2019-2020 uh, action plan um, that was the report that was given to you earlier in the month. Um, Ms. Johns focused on the key deliverables as under each goal, and as I said, it was very similar to the report um, you um, heard on the early part of the month. 
The Joint Ledge Committee made a recommendation that the council send a letter urging Governor Newsom to sign the senior California Senior Legislature-sponsored Bill 970, which is to provide grants for transportation. And these are primarily in rural areas where as much as we have challenges here with transportation, we have transportation where in some of the rural communities there are none to get seniors and persons with disabilities to medical appointments, grocery stores, um, or if they get there, um, it's hours long driving and food can be in, um, limited. Um, we had a quick report on the assisted living report um, that had been done um, earlier in the year and um, that just brought the, the council up to date on some other work that's being done by other um, groups in the city. The Dignity Fund and Oversight Committee, we had an update. Um, there was the uh, update on the year-end budget. Targets have been achieved and things are going well, but there are some questions about the, um, still the LGBTQ population being underrepresented. Um, some transgender engagement has been conducted and two public forums have been held. That led into Dr. Edelman's presentation on the LGBTQ updates and um, again mentioning a delay in the 7595 Laguna, which is an LGBT-centered um, senior housing site. And then um, she discussed the challenges of data collection in other city departments beyond uh, DOS on uh, data, uh, data collection around LGBTQ uh, and that that's not being pushed. And um, Dr. Edelman and Supervisor Mandelman are discussing ways to, um, to get that data. Um, there was a brainstorming session in June and work's being done with the mayor's office on transgender issues to see if there's a way to push that um, data, that demographic collection. And that's a similar problem at the state level. Because we had such robust discussions with everybody there, uh, we ran out of time for site visits. And since the um, joint ledge committee, since the legislative session is over, uh, when I get into my joint ledge report, we, the joint ledge voted not to uh, meet in October, November, and December. <laughs> so the advisory council is stealing a half hour of that time in October and November. So we will have our site visits reports completed. Um, that's a number one goal. So, and then we talked, uh, there were a number of announcements um, talking about the, uh, Dr. Edelman gave an update on the Scan Foundation's forum on the master plan together, which occurred on Monday the 16th. Um, and then also on the first plan, and the first meeting of the master plan for aging. Um, and then there were a number of activities through the rest, rest of the month with, um, on the 19th, there was an Association of Disability Advocates met addressing the master plan with State Senator Weiner, Chu, and Ting, Assemblyman Ting and Assemblyman Chu both there, the 920 event. Um, and then also um, one of our council members uh, from District 4, Margaret Graff, has a program called Senior Power, and she reached out to the um, groups uh, to our merchants in the Sunset Parkside area about hiring seniors. So she'll be talking at her next meeting, so we'll have an update soon. Um, it came from some discussions at, at the council. Thank you, Diane. Any comments or questions from the commission? Commissioner Liu. 
How many uh, vacancies do you have on the advisory at this point? We have, I think it's one from the commission and three from the supervisors. I'd have to double check. And we've reached out to all the supervisors, I think maybe four from the supervisors. So we're working, we will be working to get back to the supervisors. With commission appointments and super, supervisorial appointments, we should really have every district covered. And we have a few districts with no coverage. So um, we, the person working on membership, in fact, I was thinking about that this morning. I've got to send her an email. We have one pending. Supervisor Yee has someone pending. And sometimes with the supervisorial appointments, it take, they have to go to the Rules Committee and then get on the supervisor, Board of Supervisors agenda. But we will definitely be reaching out. Um, and if need be, go to their offices and sit down and talk with them. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Thank you very much. The next item on the agenda is the Joint Legislative Committee. And here's Diane again. Here's, here's me again. Um, so we've had a pretty robust uh, year. And I'm just going to give you summary numbers. Um, one of the reasons the Joint Ledge Committee opted not to meet again is because legislative session is over. So there'll be no changes to what's going to go through is going to go through. And um, we will have, I will give you a written report of what got passed and what didn't and, and all of that kind of as a year-end summary is my plan, if that's okay. Yes. Um, so right now, four bills of the over 50 plus we were, have been uh, signed and chaptered. Those are on emergency preparedness, residential care facilities, um, emergency services training, and elder and dependent adults uh, abandonment. Um, right now, there are 20 sitting on the governor's desk to be signed. Um, I haven't checked as to if anything's occurred, but that's, I think that's a pretty good record for the year. Six are held under suspension. And in our discussions, we think many of those are master plan potential issues. So they may come back next year. Some will definitely be two-year bills. We'll know more when, when we report in probably February because uh, we won't, there won't be much done at your January meeting. Um, and then there were four, I should say, there are six held under submission. There are four that have already been targeted for possible two-year bills. And there are 13 that are just kind of sitting there. So we don't know what will happen with those. They could die. Those numbers could reappear as something else next year. We'll just have to wait and see. Thank you. Any comments or questions? Thank you very much. And now the TAC report. I've been, I've been busy. Um, so TAC met in um, September 23rd, 24th and 25th in Sacramento. And I'm just, since there are some new council members since the first report, as new commission members, I just wanted to give you a brief update on what TAC is. So it's the AAA of California, and it's made up of one representative from each of the 33 planning and service areas, uh, or called PSA. So we happen to be the only city and county so some of these PSAs are double counties. Some are huge geographic areas. Um, so it's always interesting discussions. Um, this comes out of the Older Americans Act. And the mission is to educate through exchange of information, ideas, trends, uh, models of service delivery, to advocate on issues um, of concern, and to strengthen the advocacy and effectiveness 
effective advocacy, effectiveness, and leadership skills of the local advisory councils. We meet four times a year, and we're under the Department of uh, the Commission on Aging. Um, so we met the, uh, there were introductions of the new um, California Commission on Aging Executive Director, Carol Swartzlander, who has a very broad background in aging and adult services, broad background with Department of Health, uh, has worked internationally on women's issues. So um, I think she's going to, you know, this was the first meeting, she was really lively engaged in our conversations. Um, every Every PSA has to submit a report prior, um, so we submit a report that, um, it, but I wanted to just point out a couple of things that I thought stood out. Um, there, Marin County's doing a senior fair in October to focus on the census. We talked a lot about census 2020 and the importance for seniors and particularly adults, um, persons with disabilities, making sure they're counted. Um, one PSA 7, which I believe is Contra Costa County, also had a master plan for aging um, summit, similar to what we did on the um, 7. <clears throat> Los Angeles has been focusing on purposeful aging, and they, the county is an AARP, age and disability friendly city. Um, they've, the San Bernardino County has been looking at disabilities or as the um, representative always talks about impairment um, that be considered in senior housing. And their site visits, and I'm gonna take this back to the council, they go in kind of like secret shoppers to look at things. So I thought that would be, that's a good model for us to look at um, as well. And the Riverside's been focusing on scams and identity theft. They also did um, some sessions on talking with um, seniors on how to sign up for CalFresh, just one day education and the next day they had representatives come in who could sit down at the computers, do the interviews, do everything that was necessary. Um, and San Diego had a vital aging conference. They have it each year. And they talked about, they're focusing on their Alzheimer's response team and that's training deputy sheriffs so that when they had to handle um, when there's a call, how to handle somebody with dementia. Um, and then w some of the concerns that came up, obviously, were how to make sure the census calls out peoples with disabilities. A lot of discussions of uh, emergency preparedness for the, and then transportation. Uh, we had a lot of discussions about paratransit, um, and I now have the codes that apply to para paratransit that were shared with all of us. Um, we had four key presentations, and I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but uh, one was on the master plan for aging um, by the senior policy advisor at SCAN, another one on aging and food dignity um, by the um, California Food and Policy Advocates, um, and that provided us a really robust discussion on how do you get people signed up who are eligible for CalFresh, some of the um, misconceptions about um, asking for aid and taking aid, uh, the complexity of it and how to simplify it. Um, the Deputy Director, Irene Walela from the Department of Aging gave us a budget, an update on the budget and how it impacts the area plans. And mu much of it, Shireen has shared in various meetings. And then we had an, uh, an update by the Deputy Policy Advisor from the Alzheimer's Association. And um, she talked about the fact that 
the Alzheimer's group, uh, Maria Shriver's planning five forums throughout the state to discuss uh, this. Um, their timetable, as we know, overlaps with the master plan and it will be included. And that really it's the first time that um, Alzheimer's has been discussed at really high levels. Um, the other frightening thought was that about half the persons with Alzheimer's in the United States come from California. When I saw that, I wrote it, and then when I saw it again last night, I was a little startled. So it was, it was a very collaborative meeting. I learned a lot. Thank you, Diane. Any comments or questions? Commissioner Pappas? Thank you for bringing up the issue of the census. I, I serve on the city's complete count committee for the 2020 census. And we met last Friday, and there were two big gaps that were uh, noted. That was with the LGBT community as well as with uh, people with disabilities. And as we're moving to be uh, a little more inclusive uh, and reimagining who we are, um, I'm hoping maybe at the next meeting, Shereen, if we could get some sort of report on what the department is doing uh, regarding outreach for the census. Sure, we can definitely do that. We've just started having conversations with OSEA, and um, you know, of course, one of our concerns is the num the the huge proportion of census data that will be taken by email or taken sorry, did, you know, electronically versus by mail. I think it's ninety percent, and so of course that's a concern for us and for the people in San Francisco we serve. So we can do that. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Thank you very much, Diane. Thank you. Next item on the agenda is the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council report. Oh, Kelly Dearman, <laughs> welcome. Good morning, commissioners. Good morning, director. My name is Kelly Dearman. I am the executive director of the San Francisco In-Home Supportive Services Public Authority, but I'm here today um, on behalf of the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council, of which I'm also a member. Um, so we had our last meeting in September, and without um, repeating what's already been said, we spent a long time talking about the master plan on aging, and it was right before the big event that happened, so we spent a long time talking about that. Um, as you know, the um, Coordinating Council focuses on particular policy um, areas um, that, have, that all have issues that are um, important to people with any um, limitations, and those are the areas of health, housing, nutrition, social engagement, transportation, and workforce. Um, one of the things that we did talk about at our last meeting was the public charge rule, which absent any litigation is set to go into effect on October 15th. Um, and um, what this rule does is uh, it expands the list of um, benefits that um, people who are not um, residents or citizens can receive. And um, the thing that we heard was that this rule only comes into effect at certain points um, of the immigration process, such as applying for a green card, not applying for citizenship, and many categories of immigrants are exempt um, from this rule. So um, just the mention of this rule obviously has a chilling effect on a lot of people. And so the city is working really hard to get the message out um, in many languages and postcards and um, encouraging people to call so that um, people who are not affected by this rule will not um, stay away. Um, in addition to that, uh, we, the palliative care work group is um, a subgroup of the long-term care coordinating council. And 
Uh, one of the things discussed was that Reimagine is coming back to San Francisco. It was here last year. It'll be here October 24th to no November 2nd. And um, the palliative care work group uh, is working with libraries and other community centers to make sure um, everyone is um, talking about and has filled out their advanced health care directives. Um, we also talked about legislation, but you've all heard about that. So unless there are any questions, that's all I have. Thank you very much, Kelly. Any comments or questions? Thank you. Thank you very much. <coughs> Next is the case report. Good morning, Commissioners, Director McSpadden. Um, highlight of my report uh, on case this past month is our first, hopefully annual, our plan is for it to be annual, getting there together, which was Sunday, September 8th. Uh, it was, from all accounts, a big success. We had 40 exhibitors. We had uh, an incredible array of senior and people with disability um, performing. Um, quite not only entertaining, quite moving at times. Um, and then just a rockin' outdoor gymnasium uh, with all kinds of physical activities and classes. So really, really inspirational. And of course, many, many, many uh, attendees. Uh, we've already begun uh, planning for next year. It was great to have supervisors, uh, Gordon Marr and um, Norman Yee there. Um, as well as uh, State Senator Scott Weiner, and of course, Director McSpadden was there, and then um, Nancy McPherson, State Director of um, AARP California, traveled up from Los Angeles. So uh, we were quite honored to have all of those people speaking. Um, this month's membership meeting had quite a lot um, on it, beginning with uh, Mike Zog from Office on Aging bringing uh, Kate Chagoan to introduce her. Thank you so much for that. Um, and some updates. Uh, we had an incredible presentation on intergenerational programming uh, with uh, Fedra Bell from the UCSF Memory and Aging Center, Leisha Ishikawa from Little Brothers Friends of the Elderly. Um, and Taryn Peterson from uh, Sequoia Living. The presentation was enlightening. Uh, it was actually quite moving at times uh, and very positive. So uh, really, really good stuff going on there. Uh, we also had um, Brett, uh, his last name is escaping me, from the local census uh, effort presenting on that. And we'll have him back again uh, in the early, early spring before the census uh, begins. But yes, very important. Um, and then finally, we also continued our um, process for developing our annual budget advocacy ask uh, that started in August with our brainstorming where we uh, solicit uh, um, ideas, areas for funding from our members and then begin to winnow that down. Uh, we uh, did some discussion at the meeting and then followed that with a survey to all the member agencies asking them to select their, their top um, areas, uh, compiled that and got it down to seven areas, um, which are, I'm just going to list them in very general uh, terms, transportation, isolate, isolated LGBT seniors, trainings, staff trainings, um, outreach for new clients, um, ADRC wage equity, which was actually one of our uh, elements in this past year, uh, behavioral health needs uh, around uh, 
staff ability to deal with those needs, and then dementia specifically in terms of uh, at, uh, ADCs. Um, we'll be now uh, coming up with the, the detail on that as well as doing the data to support the ask, uh, and I'll present more about that uh, this next month. Um, and then uh, finally, just a, a follow up on the conversations that have taken place around uh, the possibility of a collaboration between CASE and Dignity Fund Coalition to um, assume leadership of the Dignity Fund Service Provider Work Group. Uh, each of our two um, um, coalitions uh, polled their members as to one, uh, asking for approval of that, but also in terms of, of which was the, the preference, either to host two of the four annual service provider workgroup meetings or all four. And both of our, uh, in, in a conversation with um, Fiona Hinzi, um, she relayed the, the Dignity Fund Coalition's uh, thinking that, which match case, that each agency, each coalition prefers to host two of those meetings. So we will continue with the discussions in, in formalizing that, aligning our thinking, et cetera, um, and hopefully just make for a, a stronger, more effective uh, service provider work group. What questions may I answer for you? Thank you very much. Any comments or questions? Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Next item in the agenda is the nominating committee report. Commissioner Katie <coughs> Blue, Chair, recommending Josh Halstead to be nominated to the DAS Commission's Advisory Council. Yeah, we met with him, and uh, I think he is a good fit for the Advisory Council. And uh, he's also young, so we're bringing new ideas. So we presented, and we want the vote to the Commission. Yes. Thank you. Commissioner Pappas? Yeah, just to reiterate my remarks uh, from last month that uh, as, as we expand and, and we are trying to address issues uh, of people with disabilities, Josh brings a, an absolute a wealth of experience and knowledge and I think will be an asset to, uh, to the committee and uh, I would uh, encourage uh, my, co my colleagues to uh, advance his nomination and I'd move it. Thank you. Um, I think those comments are probably shared by everyone on the commission. Um, so, taking the vote, um, all in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. And welcome, Josh. Thank you. Item, um, any old business? New business? Okay. Item A. Requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Curry Senior Center for the provision of technology and connection at home program during the period of January 1st, 2018 through June 30th, 2020 for an additional amount of $45,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $811,742. Welcome Tiffany Kearney. Thank you. Uh, good morning, President Serenia, Commissioner's Executive Director McSfadden. Um, as you might recall, I um, presented this particular item at uh, the September Commission, and I would be happy to answer any additional questions at this time or present fully again, um, whichever you prefer. Thank you. Um, are there any questions or comments from the Commission? No. Any questions or comments from the public? 
Hearing none, um, call the question. May I have a motion to approve? Second, do I have a second? Thank you. Um, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item B, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Leia's Pantry for the provision of citywide nutrition, education, and counseling services program during the period of September 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 in the amount of $48,858 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $347,186. Welcome, Laura Muckley. Good morning, Commissioners and Executive Director McSpadden. My name is Lauren Muckley and I'm a nutritionist with DOS. This item was presented during the September Commission, but I'm happy to answer any other questions you have at this time. Thank you. Are there any comments or questions from the Commission? None. Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So move. Do you have a second? Second. Thank you. Any further comments? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you, Lauren. Item C. Review and approval of California Department of Aging Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program Education, SNAP-Ed, contract SP-1920-06, budget and any subsequent amendments, approval of modification of community services grant with self-help for the elderly to include $137,697 SNAP-Ed funding and activities. Sarah Chan, but she's not here, so welcome. Good morning, Commissioners, uh, Executive Director McSpadden. I'm Mike Zog, Program Director from uh, Office of Community Partnerships, subbing in for Sarah Chan, who could not be here today. Um, this item before you is an approval of another uh, CDA contract. This is for us to access a funding that we use to support um, a group of programs uh, that we uh, designed to increase physical activity um, and healthy, healthy living and healthy nutrition information uh, for older adults. Um, this contract is, and this funding is something that we've accepted for a number of years at this point. Um, we've always used self-help for the elderly um, as our uh, subcontractor to administer these programs. Uh, the programs themselves that are being administered um, are unique in that they're evidence-based uh, programs, and they are on an approved list that we must select from, which is uh, maintained by the United States Department of Agriculture, who are the ultimate governing body for um, for the SNAP-Ed and SNAP programs. A lot of, lot of bureaucracy uh, on this one. Um, the current offerings uh, that we are using this, this funding for and would, would hope to use it for uh, in the next year uh, are Tai Chi for Arthritis and Fall Prevention Program, which has been very popular and done very well. Um, a couple of newer ones, a Walk with Ease program, a walking group program, um, and Bingo Size, which um, Sounds pretty exciting, um, and I've heard good things about. We also do uh, a series of health information campaigns. Um, some of them may be familiar with, familiar with things like Rethink <coughs> Drink, which brings attention to um, the beverages that we drink and the calories and hidden things that are in there. Um, attached to this packet at the very end um, is the budget that we are proposing to, um, how we are proposing to allocate these dollars. You'll see that it's a mix of staff time as well as program materials um, and supplies to sort of uh, to, to, to run these programs. So with that, I'm happy to answer any questions the commission might have. Thank you, Mike. Any comments or questions from the commission? 
Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? Thank you. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you. Any further comments or discussion? All the question, all in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you very much. Item D, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Community Living Campaign for the provision of community services program pilot during the period of September 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 in an additional amount of $406,945 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $1,223,998. Welcome back, Tiffany Kearney. Thank you. Um, similar to um, the first one, I presented this one at the September Commission. And um, I would be happy to answer any additional questions or fully present again, whichever you prefer. Thank you. Are there any need for a, for a refresher presentation? Any comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you. Um, any further comments? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion Thank carries. You. Thank you, Tiffany. Item E, requesting authorization to modify the grant agreements with multiple providers to apply the cost of doing business CODB increase during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2024 in the additional amount of $3,273,832. John Suzakawa will present. Thank you. Um, good morning, Commissioners uh, and Secretary McSpadden. Uh, John Sudakawa be, couldn't be here today um, for illness, so I'm presenting on his behalf. My name is David Kashani, uh, Contract Manager with the Human Services Agency. Thank you. Um, Could you uh, move the microphone a little bit closer? Thank you. Can, is this better? Thank you, David. Okay, very good. Okay. So I'm David Kashani, and I'm here before you today uh, seeking authorization to modify the current grant agreements with nonprofit service providers for the provision of a cost of doing business increase, also referred to as CODB. Um, as part of the city's budget approval process, in late July, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and in early August, um, the Mayor Breed approved a 3% cost of doing business increase for grant agreements for the 1920 fiscal year. Additionally, uh, they approved a compounded 2.5% CODB increase to be applied to fiscal year 2021 grant amounts. Um, uh, due to varying terms of program grants, uh, this amount is baseline for subsequent fiscal years and is represented in the table before you in the memorandum. Um, CODB eligible funds encompass salaries and associated benefits, operational costs, indirect costs, and general funds and leveraged state and federal funds. Uh, generally not included in CODB are pass-through funds like direct client assistance dollars and capital, uh, capital expenses. Also uh, not included are completely new programs, um, OTO funding, and ad backs that went into effect during fiscal year 1920. Uh, upon your approval, um, contract staff will be working with each provider to implement the CODB increase over the next several weeks. Um, the HSA will send out letters to the um, agencies informing them <coughs> about the CODB amounts for their respective grants. Um, the agencies will then submit a budget modification to us, and upon program approval, we will um, upload the, uh, the ability in carbon for, so they can invoice off those increased funding. So, um, do you have any questions? Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, 
David, um, did I hear you say that this, these funds also come from the state and federal government that the money will be using for the cost of doing business? Negative. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's uh, eligible COBBY funds are those that also uh, are kind of a blended fund of local with state and federal as well. Because I, I don't see any state and federal broken out on this. It's, it appears no. to be the Dignity Fund primarily as well as the county. Correct. The actual CODBI is coming from Dignity Fund and County Fund, or all County Fund, but what's used to calculate that is based on the funding amounts of the grants, which may be a blend of I funds. See. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Commissioner Spears. Yes, I have a question. Are these funds, and maybe this is, I'm new, so are these the funds that are basically used to provide the raises year over year to the contracts that we approve, because this looks, most of the contracts that we approve, the salary and, and benefits seem to be the same year over year. So is this kind of how we approve raises and the likes going forward? Yes, it's not a regular presentation, it's not a regular proposal, but periodically it does come before us. Codby, I believe, uh, has historically has been either one year or two years. Um, every, every year or two, it comes up for an increase. Two and a half percent has been historical, and most of the time since I've been here at least. Uh, but this year, we have a three percent for 1920. Okay. And there had been some hope um, that was not realized that the Dignity Fund would not have to fund any of this. But um, in the end, the city decided that that would not be the case. And so, hence the two-thirds coming from the Dignity Fund. Any other comments or questions from the Commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, I may have a motion to approve. Do I have a second? Second. Thank you. Any further comments? Call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. Thank you. Item F. <clears throat> Requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with La Raza Central Legal Inc. for the provision of legal services for older adults during the period of October 1st, 2019 to June 30th, 2020 in the amount of $90,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $99,000. Welcome back, Michael. Hello again, commissioners. Uh, this item is for a new grant agreement for this year with La Raza Central Legal. Um, this is funded through, in part, with an ad back from the Board of Supervisors, uh, focusing uh, services on District 9, uh, as well as some one-time only Dignity Fund uh, funds that we had available this year. Um, just briefly, older adult legal services, um, they kind of do what they say. They provide legal assistance to uh, older adults in a variety of areas, such as housing rights uh, and eviction prevention, uh, public and private uh, benefit advocacy and appeals and things like that. Um, La Raza Central Legal, they're currently a contractor with us for naturalization for services, as well as legal services for younger adults with disabilities. So adding this in will, um, make them nicely well-rounded to serve our target populations. Um, uh, their services are based in the Mission District at Valencia and 15th. Um, and their, language out, uh, their language capacity is Spanish uh, at that site. Um, and they are doing two interesting things right now with outreach clinics to reach more clients. Um, they are spending time a couple times each month based at Onlock uh, 30th Street Senior Center, as well as uh, Curry Senior Center uh, in order to reach more clients. Thank you, Michael. Any comments or questions from the commission? This is only a nine-month prog uh, program, isn't it right? Not a full year? That's correct, yeah. 
Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So move. Do we have a second? Second. Thank you. Any further comments or questions? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item G, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Catholic Charities for the provision of case management services during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2021 in the amount of $80,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $775,180. Once again, Michael Zogwood. Uh, this item is the continuation of a previous uh, uh, one time only for Catholic Charities. This is to support a half-time case manager uh, with their organization. The funds here are for this year as well as next and we'll uh, keep that position in place throughout the remainder of this case, the initial term of this case management contract. Um, this additional half-staffer will um, be able to increase capacity by at least 27 uh, unduplicated clients per year. Um, language capacity uh, with Catholic Charities, within their case management staff, they have some um, Mandarin capacity, um, but they often are able to rely on their larger um, staff at that site to help out with translation. That broadens um, uh, the availability to Mandarin, Cantonese, Vietnamese, Cambodian, and Spanish. Uh, our case management providers are also able to leverage um, uh, or access language line services free of charge uh, provided um, uh, by DOS. Uh, with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Michael. Any comments or questions? Commissioner just, Spears. Yep, just one question regarding the budget year over year. It seems to be flat for all salary. Is yes. that just how that's done? That is typically how we do. That is how we do it. We do flat <laughs> budgeting. And then your, your comment earlier about COD and things, that's how adjustments can be. Okay. All right. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure I made that connection. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from the commission? Commissioner Liu. Yeah, a question, a quick question. Um, the monitoring was done, program monitoring was done, and uh, yes. they were underperforming. Uh, what yes. percentage did, uh, was it? So at the time of the visit, which was in the spring, they were under by a, by a, I don't know the percentage, and that was due to them just not having a staff person. They had had a staff person leave. Actually, I think they joined uh, the the city, but um, so they just couldn't serve clients. By the time we went and checked at the end of the year, they, they had hired in that position, they had gone and gotten clients off the wait list, and they had reached their, their goal for the year. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Hearing none, any comments or questions from the public? Again, hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Do you have a second? Second. Um, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item H, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant with Golden Gate Senior Services for the provision of Aging and Disability Resource Centers, ADRC, during the period of July 1st, 2018 through June 30th, 2020, for an additional amount of $10,000 plus a 10% contingency amount not to exceed $183,594. Welcome, Sarah Hofverberg. 
Well done, thank you. Um, good morning, President Serenia, fellow commissioners, and Executive Director McSpadden. My name is Sarah Hoffberg, and I'm a program analyst with the Office of Community Partnerships. Uh, the item before you is a request to authorize a $10,000 ad back to support Russian language capacity for Golden Gate Senior Services Aging and Disability Resource Center, or ADRC. Uh, Golden Gate Senior Services ADRC is located at Richmond Senior Center on Geary Boulevard at 26th Avenue in District 1. Uh, ADRCs provide information, referral, and assistance services for older adults and adults with disabilities. Golden Gate Senior Services is the only ADRC in San Francisco to provide Russian language assistance, and it is a well-known resource throughout the city. Translation services and referrals for housing and home energy assistance program, or HEAP, uh, benefits are the most requested types of assistance at this ADRC site. This ad back is a continuation of one-time only funding Golden Gate Senior Services received last fiscal year and will maintain Russian language staffing at current levels. A contract monitoring visit was completed on May 13th, 2019 and Golden Gate Senior Services met all required contract objectives and the program is being administered in compliance with contract requirements. I would like to mention uh, that there is a typo on the budget summary. The operating expenses for uh, 2018 through 19 are actually $1,060, and the total for 18 to 20 is $1,518, so we will make that correction. Uh, the Office of Community Partnerships requests your approval for this budget modification with Golden Gate Senior Services for the Aging and Disability Resource Center. And thank you for your consideration, and I'm happy to answer any questions the commission might have. Thank you very much, Sarah. Any comments or questions from the commission? Just one, one thank comment. Thank you, Commissioner Arcona. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the budget, and the service uh, numbers are pretty, um, pretty outstanding for such a small budget. Um, I'm seeing like over a thousand unduplicated uh, older adults being served. Um, so I have one question. The, it says that there will be 1,300 uh, service units of assistance. And what, what is that? Is that the, the assistance with heat and the other things that you mentioned? Yeah, it could be a variety of things, um, different kinds of referrals, translation services. Uh, one of the most common request that they get is help with translating mail and forms and things that uh, folks receive in the mail. Okay. Thank you. If memory serves over the years, this particular um, agency has done a very, very good job in reaching out to the community, and there's an enormous amount of participation with Russian language speakers in the community. And so hence the high number of clients. People know about them. This is one area where outreach has succeeded very well. So, thank you. Any other comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. May I have a motion to approve? So moved. Thank you. Do I have a second? Thank you. Um, any further comments? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion thank carries. You. Thank you, Sarah. Item I, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Institute on Aging for the provision of the Community Living Fund during the period of November 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2021 in the amount of $700,000 
plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $10,564,736. Welcome, Fanny Lapitan. Good morning, Commissioners and Executive Director McSpadden. Fanny Lapitan, Program Analyst for the Office of Community Partnerships. Um, again, I'm here today to request modification um, to our existing contract with the Institute on Aging for the provision of the Community Living Fund uh, program to include a pilot for the administration of the Public Guardian Housing Fund. Um, currently, IOA provides CLF services using a two-pronged approach of um, coordinated case management and purchase of goods and services. The program serves San Francisco residents 18 years and older um, with incomes up to 300% of the federal poverty, poverty level. And participants must be willing and able to live in the community with appropriate supports and have a demonstrated need for um, service or resource that will serve to enable community living or prevent institutionalization. The modification we are requesting today specifically for the provision of the monthly subsidies and move-related costs for public guardian conservatees. Um, under the Department of Aging and Adult Services, the public guardian or PG office serves as the court-appointed conservator of vulnerable individuals and their estates. Due to insufficient financial resources and declining health, some of these individuals are marginally housed for prolonged periods of time um, while waiting for an appropriate housing option. This funding will be used to help, um, help them maintain or be placed in a safe and stable home, such as a licensed assisted living facility, supportive housing, or um, similar types of housing. The conservatives served by the fund uh, must meet both the CLF and the PG criteria. The Institute on Aging will be providing the administration of the housing fund while the PG office serves as the program support, um, including um, case management, in-home visits, or I'm sorry, in-person visits, monthly approval of the housing subsidies, and also um, other activities that will ensure the um, equitable access and appropriate use of the funds. The PG office will prioritize access to the funds based on the conservatives' um, need and appropriateness, and the subsidy amount will be set on a case-by-case -case basis um, due to the complexities of these cases. Some, um, the subsidy will range depending on the client's need, uh, functional and financial need. Some may pay about um, 30 to 50% of their uh, income, while others may be subsidized up to 100% um, due to lack of income or um, other resources available. Based on the current need that the PG has identified for this funding, um, the fund can cover, can cover up to 10 conservatives annually. Uh, allowable purchases through the PG Housing Fund will include the monthly subsidies, move-related costs, and purchases such as uh, security deposits, moving boxes, packing and transportation for the move, furniture, and, um, and other similar items. Uh, at this time, I'd be happy to answer any questions the commissioners may have. Thank you very much, Fanny. I have one question. From the time that the process begins for an individual till it is all approved and the individual begins to get services, how much time does that normally take? Um, depending on uh, where they are, um, CLF may already have vendor agreements with some of these um, 
uh, facilities or, or um, supportive housing. If that is already in place, it, it could be very quick um, within, I would say, uh, less than a month, I'd say two to four weeks. Um, and then additional time may be required if vendor agreements haven't been set yet. Okay, thank you. Sure. Any other comments, Commissioner Liu? Yeah, I have a question on the operating expense detail. The consultants, yeah. line 21, appendix page B1, uh, appendix B1, page 3. Line 21. Line 21. Let's see here. Temp contractor. Oh, temp contractor, yes. So at this time, because this is a pilot program, um, CLF may need to um, pull in uh, a temporary staff to get this up and running. So this has been, there's some funding allocated uh, to allow that. Um, and then as you can see in the next year, um, it's, it's less because by then we're anticipating that there'll be a, a, an actual staff, a permanent okay. staff. And over the page, the uh, purchase of service detail, uh, it's three hundred four thousand four hundred three forty eight each year. Yeah. What are they? That that global purchase of service is the actual um, subsidy, the funding for the subsidies and the move related costs. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. So I have a question. Thank you, Commissioner Spears. Two questions that I'll ask. Um, the first one is: Should I consider the CLF very similar to a PACE program when you say purchasing of services and the case management? Is that kind of are those? Similar in uh, nature, uh, like a PACE program. Oh, I'm a PACE familiar program. with I'm f familiar with PACE. So should I think of CLF as being like a PACE-like program? Um, I would. Yeah, I think it would be similar. Um, although, of course, PACE um, has something other. Um, I think housing is already. I think there's some elements that are, mm -hmm. you know, so there, there are the purchase of service dollars, but other than that, no. This is okay. the intensive case management plus um, purchase of service dollars. The mm -hmm. intent is to help people who um, are at risk of institutionalization or institutionalized to come out and, and live in the community. Mm -hmm. The community can mean, in this case, assisted living, um, but generally means living in the community in San Francisco. Right. And um, we've found that the intensive case management really is often what people need to be able to stay at home safely. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Right. And I just want to add Community Living Fund is um, the payer of last resort. So um, we try to look for. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So Second. Thank you. Any further comments? All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you. Item J, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Felton Institute for the provision of the long-term care ombudsman program during the period of July 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2021 in an additional amount of, of $200,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $1,407,241. All 
Welcome back, Michael Zell. Hello again, commissioners. Uh, this item before you um, was an ad back. It's $100,000 uh, per year ongoing um, with the idea of supporting Cantonese um, language capacity um, in advocacy services around our skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities. So we are going to go ahead and um, go ahead and do that uh, with uh, in cooperation with the ombudsman who are going to use this uh, funding to hire a, uh, a Cantonese speaking um, staff person who will focus on that population. Um, briefly, for those background on the ombudsman, they provide a variety of advocacy services uh, on behalf of residents of skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities. They're most commonly known for responding to complaints um, by residents of these facilities, but they do a number of other things, including uh, providing consultations to facilities, consultations to families, um, uh, residents, uh, letting them know about their rights and things like that. Um, they're witness to any advanced health care directives that are um, completed in a SNF. That's a legal requirement. Um, they also participate in some larger systems advocacy work, including legislative hearings and implementation processes around changes um, in regulations and practices in this area. Um, for this uh, particular position, it's going to um, particularly focus on monolingual uh, Cantonese-speaking residents of skilled nursing facilities. Uh, much of the work will be uh, doing complaint response and investigation work, working directly with clients, although they will also uh, focus time on outreach um, and educational presentations uh, within these facilities and within that target population in order to try to uh, increase awareness um, and accessing of, of ombudsman services. Um, beyond just the Cantonese uh, capacity that will be increased here, uh, the, the program itself has a pretty good uh, language capacity right now, including uh, Mandarin, Toshanese, Spanish, French, Japanese, and uh, Tagalog. So with that, happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much, Michael. Any comments or questions? Commissioner Knudsen? Yeah, just a really quick one, I hope, it, yeah. that within all of this on page like seven of eight, there's yeah. listed the designated community focal points. Yes. And is that where it's advertised? Like if you go there, people would hear about it and be able to you, you know, in, in what's the interplay? The, with that? the focal points are our age and disability resource centers, mm -hmm. actually, that we came up just earlier. Um, the California Department of Aging wants to make sure that we are when we do our big area plan, we um, designate uh, community focal points. Um, these are places where sort of hubs where information can be given out about the variety of services available. We identify that in the area plan. The California Department of Aging wants us to make sure that we've identified those focal points in our contract documents with every contract that involves um, CDA funding. Um, so the idea is it's here and then it will be totally clear that the ombudsman program will see that and say, oh, these people are out there. So, so yes, first the ombudsman could reach out to make sure that these agencies are aware of the ombudsman services, but we also through other means are making sure that these agencies are aware um, of the ombudsman service and should someone come into that site needing assistance related to a facility like that, the, the idea is that these sites would know about that and provide that they're the informed and could help yeah. okay, okay I understand the interplay thank you thank you Commissioner Liu yeah I have a question on the uh, uh, subcontractors yes okay uh, line 9 and 10 those are the Chinese Mandarin speaking specialists of course the other one speak Fukinese which is uh, another dialect 
Yes. Uh, why is there a difference uh, of 28,000 versus 16,000? Is it because the number of hours or what? Yeah, it's, it's the number of hours. So what this represents back here is that um, the Ombudsman program um, is, is doing whatever they can to get language capacity and get qualified people in and working for them. And sometimes there are people who are excellent Ombudsman staff who just have other things going on and are not um, uh, looking for a full-time job. So Benson has, has done well to try to work with those folks to keep a hold of them and keep them in his, in his stable of, of staff out there in the community. Um, so that's just the difference there, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So move. Do have a second? Second. Thank you. Any further comments or questions? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. The next item in the agenda is, is the, to recess this meeting, the regular meeting, and convene a closed session.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. And so many incredible community leaders and friends who have gathered here today to support the signing of what I believe is important legislation uh, that will hopefully make the changes in this city that are necessary to address what we know are inequalities in services, resources in general, and we know as a city we have work to do. In fact, we can take this conversation back to years ago, starting with the unfinished agenda under the San Francisco Redevelopment Agency, recommendations back then of what should be done with the disparities that exist in the African-American community. Later on down the line, when Gavin Newsom served as mayor, he agreed to work with us and create a task force which produced a report that really highlighted the challenges that continue to persist in the African-American community despite changes, despite investments. The same problems that we are talking about today were problems that were highlighted, yet there weren't significant changes made. And growing up in San Francisco, I can't help but wonder, where did we go wrong? What were the mistakes that we made and how are we going to push forward the kinds of policies necessary to fix it? One such policy I'm really proud of that I helped to produce when I was on the Board of Supervisors, people tried to fight us on it, people told us it couldn't be done, but thanks to our late Mayor Ed Lee, former Supervisor Malia Cohen, we were able to finally get neighborhood preference legislation passed. And let me give you an example of what a difference that makes. We know the challenges that exist with access to affordable housing. Time and time again, we get asked to support affordable housing in our communities. But when the time comes to move into that housing, the people who grew up there the folks still crowded up in their houses, living with their mamas and grandmamas, could not get access to those units. The first project where we were able to use neighborhood preference was the Willie B. Kennedy Apartments. And because of our efforts, 40% of the 98 units went to people who lived in the community first. And in fact, roughly 23 of those residents were African Americans from that community. Now, we understand that it may seem like a small number, but in comparison to the number of African Americans who would get access to affordable housing, it is a big deal that we were able to accomplish this. But we know that there's so much more work to be done. Because when you look at the disparities that exist in San Francisco, sadly, the numbers are clear high school dropouts. Disproportionately, African-Americans are in the higher numbers of dropouts and suspensions, but less than 6% of the population. You look at the homeless population. You look at the challenges with mental health. Disproportionately, African-Americans are impacted by that. You look at access to housing and a number of other issues. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I get that we are looking at 
an office of racial equity for the purposes of dealing with challenges that exist with minority communities, but let's face the facts. Sadly, time and time again, we have seen on many occasions the African-American community lose time and time and time again. So we can't just keep talking about these statistics and saying that we care about what happens in this community and then also criticize me when I deliberately put money and resources into supporting and targeting this community so that we can really provide the change that we need. We need action. We need consistency. We need a change like never before. And the Office of Racial Equity is really about making that investment. It's about saying that we are tired of the reports, we are tired of the promises, and we need to start putting our money where our mouth is on this issue and so many other issues. And so I just want to take this opportunity to thank again Supervisor Sandy Fewer and Supervisor Valley Brown for their courage, for their courage, for being leaders, for being unrelenting, for consistently talking about this, talking about the need to make real change. The African-American community may be less than 6% of the population of this city, but guess what? We're still here. We still matter. And it's time that we come together and make real change. It's time that we come together and hold one another accountable, but also lift one another up. And here is our opportunity to work with an office to provide that change. And so I know I went over my time, but the fact is I'm excited about this. It's why we put money in the budget to make sure that the positions are funded. Nobody debated whether or not it should be. And now it's time that we continue to work with this office so that policy is brought forward, so that more investments are brought forward, and so that everyone in this city and all city departments understand. When I say we are going to look at everything through a lens of equity and make the kinds of deliberate changes and investments to address what we know has been a problem, then that's exactly what we're going to do. So at this time, I'd like to welcome up to provide remarks Supervisor Sandra Lee Fewer. Thank you, Mayor Breed. Um, I am so proud to stand here today with the mayor and Supervisor Brown and also my colleagues and all of you as we sign this legislation to create an office of racial equity into law. I am a fourth generation San Franciscan Chinese American and I remember growing up in a San Francisco where there was more opportunity for everyone. I remember when we had an African-American population of over 13% here in San Francisco. I remember a time when we had neighborhoods with small businesses that were owned by African-Americans and thriving. Um, this is a very important moment today because quite frankly, this is 
one of the reasons, maybe the main reason, that actually ran for supervisor. I think that um, it is it is so delightful and refreshing that we have a mayor that actually embraces this, that we need an interruption. We need actually now to interrupt what is happening and how can we get back to the San Francisco values that we all are so proud of and that we love. When you come to San Francisco, you expect to see diversity. When you come to San Francisco, the self-proclaimed most progressive city in the United States, you, see, you expect to see people of color thriving here, and yet we are not seeing that. I'd like to take a moment of appreciation to really thank my legislative aide, Chelsea Bollard, for doing this work. And also District 5 legislative aide, um, Shakira Simley. And from the Human Rights Commission, Brittany Chicada and Zoe Polk. This is the hard work of four determined women who said, we are going to write this and we're going to write it good. This country has a long history of racial injustice, beginning with the genocide of Native peoples and the enslavement of African Americans. And in San Francisco, historic race-based discrimination has manifested as exclusionary and destructive policies, like creating obstacles for Chinese residents from owning businesses, the racial segregation of the neighborhoods through redlining, the internment of Japanese Americans, and the destruction of historically black neighborhoods in the name of urban renewal. Now, racial injustice appears differently. It is not in explicitly exclusionary policies, but rather in the inaction of our government to address and correct these past harms done. In that way, it is more insidious, more dangerous, and harder to address. We see now incredible racial disparities in so many areas of life, impacting most acutely the black residents of San Francisco, but also Latinx, Pacific Islander, Asian, Arab, and Native communities. We see these disparities showing up in employment, our schools, housing, the housing market, the criminal justice system, healthcare, and more. These disparities prevent people of color in our city from leading lives that are happy, healthy, and economically secure. But today, we are taking a stand in San Francisco to say San Francisco will not stand for systemic racism. This legislation is a critical step in acknowledging the history and the current conditions of communities of color and making strong and concrete commitment to addressing those conditions. And I am so proud to celebrate its passage with all of you today. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Fuhrer. Uh, now at this time, the co-author of the legislation, Supervisor Valley Brown. Thank you, Mayor Breed, for your support and kind words. I want to thank Supervisor Fuhrer and Director Davis for your fierce advocacy and hard work on this. But I also really appreciate um, the people behind us. A lot of times we push them in front that have really got into the weeds to work on this. My aide, Shakira Assembly, thank you. I know, I know Supervisor Fewer already thanked you, but I have to thank all of you too. You, do, you, get, you have to have a double thanks here. Uh, District aide, one, District 1 aide, Chelsea Bullard. Yes. 
And then the Human Rights Commission. I want to thank uh, Brittany Chiquata. And please, yes, raise your hand, Brittany. Thank you. Everybody wants to know who she is. And other than the other HRC uh, staff that worked really hard on this, they really went deep and really drafted some amazing legislation for us to move forward. And I really want to thank all of you for joining us here today for this historic signing of this first, uh, our first office of racial equity. This office will work in, uh, on the legacy, this office will build and work on the legacy of the Human Rights Commission and is a powerful tool to break down years and years of structural and institution racism. Our work has just begun though. But we can do this, we can't do this alone, and that's why we're all here today. We need the support of each of you to repair past harms and work towards a brighter future. It's all about time. It's all about time. And I am so proud to stand on the Ramatushalani land that we are here on and organize on behalf of the board. I mean, when I think about the Native American community in this city, the highest population of women that are murdered are American Indians. Think about that. When they say we're 1%, why? Why? This is something that I know we're going to dive deep into because these are things that matter to our community, matter to the city, matter to the elected officials, and, you know, as the years when I was a legislative aide, we used to do policy, we used to do funding, thinking we were really going to help a community, but we really didn't know if it was going to work or not. And for me, this Office of Racial Equity, it will work with the community and bring things to us. Isn't that the way we want? Don't we want the community to bring the policy, bring the funding <laughs> suggestions to us? It has to come from the community not from us telling you what you need. So I'm just really proud to stand here today and be part of this. And lastly, I just want to make an important distinction. Equality means treating everyone the same. Equity means ensuring that everyone has what they need to be successful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Supervisor Brown. Now a few words from the Director of the Human Rights Commission here in San Francisco, Cheryl Davis. Um, you know, this is really quite an emotional day for a lot of different reasons. I want to first recognize the commissioners that are here, Commissioner Swice, Commissioner Clopton, and Commissioner LaDuca um, from the Human Rights Commission. This work, I was just telling someone, is actually just the perfect storm in terms of how it came out. I remember when Mayor Breed was um, president of the board, we had a conversation with James Bell from the Burns Institute in Oakland about the need to do something around racial equity. She was committed then. We were really trying to figure out what it is that we wanted to do, what did we need to do, how did we really work to build allyship to move this forward. Um, when Supervisor Fuhrer came into office, 
one of the first things she said to me is, we need to do something around racial equity in this city. And she specifically said, I want to know what we can do to do better by African Americans and black people in San Francisco. That was unusual, right? This idea that somebody who wasn't black was interested in doing right by black people was new for me. And then Supervisor Brown developed an equity program with the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, Joaquin Torres, specifically for African Americans in the Western edition of Fillmore to help them develop the way to have access to City Hall, like put money for them to get paid to tell us what to do. I, when we talk about being committed to the work, I really have little tolerance for people who just like to talk. And I want to say that these three women have been committed to the idea and notion of racial equity and getting to the people who have been most harmed by the disparities and putting their money and their mouth where the work needs to be done. And I say it's a perfect storm because when I look around and I think about Felicia Jones and Dante King and the folks who have been pushing on the inside to say that we need to make change, Michelle and Cheryl, the folks who have challenged us, but at the same time I think about Ruth from BACR and Roadmap to Peace and the work in the mission, Auntie John and Patsy and the work that's being done with the Samoan community. This idea that we want to transform City Hall is not about transforming the work that happens in this building, it's about understanding how the work that happens in this, in this building impacts everybody outside. So stay woke. So stay woke, <laughs> as uh, Childish Gambino would say. Uh, I just, I am so full right now because I know that there is not just the accountability and the demand to make this happen from community, but these three women, coupled with the men over here from the Board of Supervisors, <laughs> They're going to make it happen. Nobody here is afraid to be told that it's being done wrong and that we need to redo it. So if you want it to work right, you all need to make sure that we are held accountable. And I'm excited about what's to come and being held accountable and moving this thing forward. And as Mayor Breed said, bringing the change that we've been waiting for for 50, 60, 70, 100 years. So thank you all for being here today. Thank you. As I said to all of you before, as someone who was born and raised here, I'm so honored to be the mayor and still can't believe what an incredible opportunity this is. But I can't also help but think about the need to make sure that even though there were mistakes that were made in the past, it changed the dynamics of our city in the past, we have an opportunity to make things better in the future. We have an opportunity not to repeat the mistakes of the past. And no, I can't turn back the hands of time. But what I can do is make sure that the policies and the investments and the decisions that we make now have a better impact on future generations to come. And today is an opportunity to do just that. So. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get this legislation signed.
Latinos, I mean, we are unified in some ways, but incredibly diverse and different in others. And this exhibit really is an exploration of nuance in how we, we present those ideas. Nuestros muertos no se venden. Our dead are not for sale. Javier Viramontes did a piece about sanctuary and how his whole family had served in the army. And it's a long family tradition. And these people that uh, look at us as foreigners, we've been here, we're part of America, you know, and we had to reinforce that. I've been curating here for about 18 years. We started with a table, tablecloth, a candle, flowers, and a picture. And, and people reacted to that like it was the Mona Lisa. The most important core tradition of Day of the Dead, especially as it relates to the show, but in general, is the idea of making offerings. In traditional Mexican altars, you'll see food, candy, drinks, cigarettes, things that the
discussion. Is it okay? Um, That over again, sorry. Oh, okay. One more time. All right. Item number eight, a motion regarding whether to disclose the discussions during closed session pursuant to San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.12A. Do I have a motion for discussion purposes to disclose? So, so thank you, and do I have a second? Yes. Second, okay, thank you. Um, the motion is whether we should or should not disclose. Those in favor of disclosure, please indicate. Okay. Those opposed to disclosure? Aye. Okay. All in favor of not disclosing? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you. The motion is not to disclose the items that were discussed in the closed session. Is there any public comment on that particular motion? Thank you. Is there any general public comment? Good morning, Commissioners and Executive Director McSpadden. My name's Khaled Walling, and I'm the Director of the Richmond Senior Center, and I wasn't exactly sure if this was the time to come in and invite her, if I had, should have done it at the beginning of the meeting went during public comment. But um, we, are, we were looking to invite all of you to participate in an event that we're hosting on October 19th. It's a Saturday. Um, the Richmond Senior Center, in partnership with the Richmond Senior Roundtable, which is a coalition of senior serving agencies in the Richmond, um, are going to be hosting a One Hard Thing event. Um, One Hard Thing is an event that we started with our village where we recruit neighborhood volunteers and send them in teams, either pairs of two or three, um, into the homes of seniors who have requested help with One Hard Thing. Uh, we did it twice a year at the, at the start and the end of daylight savings time, and it started with setting black, back clocks and, um, and then additionally doing something like maybe flipping a mattress or cleaning out behind the fridge or changing a smoke detector's battery. So those types of things that are a little more complicated but help people remain in their homes. Um, and it's very popular. It's so popular that we now do it quarterly. Um, and we wanted to host an event this October that encouraged leadership of agencies that serve seniors. Um, so that they could see some of the great work that other agencies are doing in our community and also meet the seniors out in the community. So I did send an invite, and you should be getting an email, but we would love it if you would join us. It's an opportunity to just see the good work that's happening out there. Thank you very much. Any other announcements? May I have a motion to adjourn? Second. Second. By rising vote, we are adjourned. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Shereen, and thank all of you. And it's a pleasure to have a function.